Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Aimed in towards Archer! That's a fabulous header! Once again, the Dragons balance the flick on. Gather Round Villains and welcome to another instalment of Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. It was another dismal night for Steven Gerrard on Monday at Nottingham Forest, so we'll be picking it apart and discussing the future for the Villa manager. I'm your host, Andy, and it's a warm welcome back to Craig. Yes, hello everyone. Hello listener. It is uh, my I was going to say it's my pleasure to be back. It's my pleasure to be with you, but not necessarily my pleasure to be an Aston Villa fan right at this very moment, Andy. No, not at all. And um, it felt a little bit like this was um, this was kind of the end game for for Steven Gerrard. And obviously, as we're recording this, we haven't heard any anything to suggest it is. But um, the team selection was very very predictable. I think Matt, Matt Cash returned at right back. Um, with uh, Ashley Young as expected moving over to left back, uh, Bailey apparently um, has picked up another injury, um, and he was replaced by Emmy Buendia in the starting lineup. And it's, I think, the first time uh, Coutinho and Buendia have started a game together, certainly this season, and maybe for for a fair bit last season. Um, I mean, what did you make of the the logic of? You know this this team selection really such a narrow front three. Um, given Forrest had obviously picked a back three and blocked up the middle of the pitch. Well, the the, the logic is. Um, it, I'm going to try and start positive here. The logic is fine. The logic the, the logic here I think is that we have better players than Nottingham Forest do, and the idea is I think that we're going to exploit those gaps. Let's say when Forrest's wing-backs are high, we have an opportunity on against a back three, uh, one of which is, is is a lad by the name of, I think, Steve Cook, who is bloody terrible. McKenna is, is solid, but kind of a championship-level player. That at some point there's going to be a space considering Norwich, uh, not Forest, not Nottingham Forest. Sorry, concede so many goals. At some point there's going to be an opportunity for Buendia to thread the thread the ball and Ramsey Watkins. Someone's going to get the on end of it. Coutinho even. We're going to score and it's going to be fine. So it's almost when your when your team when your players are so much better than the opposition players, you the systems I think become less important. Um, but um, Matches aren't played on paper, they're played on grass. And as we saw, Villa's superior talent uh, meant nothing in the end because it was such a stodgy cluster muck, shall we say, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. The reason I asked that is because I felt like watching in the first five minutes, it just became evident of how the game was going to shape up. Villa were going to be trying to basically trying to drive them drive through a brick wall um in the middle of the park which and there was no there was no real gaps there cuz Forrest I thought set, set did set up really well um Buendia and and uh Coutinho you know just couldn't really get on the ball couldn't really make any inroads and we seem to be having this sort of time and again we've we've spoken even last season um about these two uh, Buendia and Coutinho not being able to play together. We've also spoken an awful lot about about the midfield and McGinn and Ramsey. Yet every week, there there they are in the in the middle of the park, struggling with the same things every week. <laughs> there they are every week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you know, and the one time where they, where they did change it, they they picked um, you know Ramsey a bit further forward, picked an extra midfielder. Um, took uh, Buendia and Coutinho completely out the side. It was our best performance of the season. But then you, you, against Man City, that was, of course. Um, but then they go back to back to the things that have kind of, we've kind of tried and have shown it doesn't work. 
Yeah, um, trying to apply logic to an illogical situation is is challenging. Logic would dictate that Coutinho has, and as was highlighted, I think, by Jamie Carragher on Monday Night Football um, in England, um, Coutinho has been nowhere near it for some time now. So logic would dictate that when you have a player who is off form, that you give him a break. Uh, logic would dictate that when you have a John McGinn who's been off form, you would give him a break. Um, those would be logical things to do, but those are not the choices that our manager is making. The manager is going against the grain. He's going against form, form of his players. And he is also seemingly reluctant to drop Ollie Watkins, who is also clearly out of form. And, um, and then despite picking players that he knows who are out of form, who then give performances of players who are out of form, he then comes out again for the second week in a row in the press and um, chastises those same front players that he himself picks when he has lots of alternatives knocking around the squad. The likes of Archer, the likes of Danny Ings. There are alternatives to these, to these players. So we have Den Donker in the middle who could replace McGinn and did replace McGinn um, for much of the second half against Forrest. So just bewilderment at this point. I don't know really what, what more to add other than I don't know why the manager is continuing to pick, pick players who aren't performing for Aston Villa or him. Um, it, clearly, I don't know if, if he, I, clearly he's not deliberately trying to get sacked. But I'm like, I, I don't understand it, Andy. Maybe you can explain it to me because it's beyond my comprehension, quite frankly. Well, I don't know either. Um, th- I, I suppose you could argue that with Bailey being injured, um, if he hadn't brought Buendia in, um, there might well have been a riot because, uh, you know, you know, clearly there's a lot of people who are, who are very fond of Buendia, Buendia and think he should he should be in the side anyway. So... You know, if you then overlook him when when there's a space in the that presents itself in the team, I suppose that's that's tricky. The midfield is the is the baffling one for me, though. You know, you're picking players who, I mean, Ramsey, I think has been has been in reasonable form, but I just I just think he's he gets overwhelmed in midfield, and we saw on a few occasions last night the, the frustration boiling over with him, which is unusual. You don't you, we haven't really seen that side to to Jacob Ramsey sort of fronting up to players and um and that sort of thing. Um yeah and I mean that that's you know the the other issue there is they've they've brought in a you know they've paid 13 million or so for a guy who is a, a kind of specialist number 6 and has played that that position in Dendonka you know, yet they they're using Douglas Louise there, who all right has played a lot of games for Villa in that position, but it might be more effective further forward, particularly sort of playing a bit closer maybe to to Coutinho. That might might help both players, but there's just a lot of a lot of things that it feels like he's 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 just stuck when it comes to team selection. He's he's got his um he's got his hierarchy. He's got he's he's got the players that he. He kind of he's championing in the side, and and that's the only the only thing he can see. You know, he he, he can't see any any other any other options, despite having lots of options, as you say. Well, well, yeah. You speak of options. There's a brand new signing there in, in Dundonka, and he's eating tea and cream cakes on the bench with marvelous Nakamba and Morgan Sanson. Sanson, fair enough, isn't fancied. Marvellous played his best football at Aston Villa under Steven Gerrard, hasn't had a sniff. So the idea that, um, you know, we were actually all lamenting <laughs> the loss of Marvellous Nakamba from Steven Gerrard's midfield and actually results turned for Steven Gerrard for the worst after Nakamba picked up that nasty knee injury last season. And Nakamba hasn't had a sniff. Again, I'm not saying Marvellous Nakamba is the future or the <laughs> or the magic elixir which cures all Aston Villa ills. But what he is, is a different option. What he is, is a specialist number six. Likewise, we have a Belgian international central midfielder in the... Um, in the in 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 Leandro Dendonka again isn't getting an opportunity in midfield, and Morgan Sanson. Morgan Sanson is is a player who 
hasn't really been given an opportunity to fail necessarily, hasn't ever been given a run of games. Lots of that has been his own fault, Sanson's in terms of injuries. Uh, but now he's been fit probably for the longest period as an Aston Villa player, never got a look in. So th- th- there's three different options there that, that, that the manager's refusing to deploy. Clearly, he thinks that the options he has in the team are superior, and that's fine. But again, when results are so poor, when you don't make changes or try different things, it it, it becomes a little bit um, a little bit curious as to as to why, because it really couldn't be much worse. I mean, do we really think that a midfield of of uh, of, of of Sanson, Dendonka and Marvellous Nakamba would be doing much worse than these lot are at the moment? Could it be that more, much more calamitous or ponderous? Well, I no, don't that's, know. That, that's it, isn't it? It's kind of, um, yeah, yeah, you have to ask those questions, don't you? And the same, the same is probably true, like you say, with Ollie Watkins and, and Cameron Archer. Um, there's obviously... Cameron Archer did come on, come on in this game and there would be question marks about whether he's actually ready for to play up front in the Premier League. But, you know, we're not exactly ripping up any trees with the guy we've got, are we? So, you know, it's it, it's tricky and it feels like he's got himself into a, into a rut and he's got himself a bit stagnant. Um, really early on in his in, in his in his reign, really, and I think it's um, it feels like it's only going one way. But you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I mean, it didn't take long, really, for for Forrest to um, to get ahead, and it was only seven minutes when uh, Dennis fired a, a header past Martinez. Uh, Mings had given away a free kick, and Dennis was really left pretty much unmarked on the edge of the six yard box to. To, to head past uh, to head head Forest into the lead, um, I mean last week we discussed whether whether Villa's defence had improved or whether we were keeping those those two clean sheets almost by default based on the fact that the the opposition weren't uh, weren't any great shakes um, for those two games. But how much did this goal kind of kind of answer that question for you? Well, I mean it was a real. Um, kicking the teeth, to be honest with you, that that goal. I think that um, it was a real soft one. Dare I say it was close to being in the uh, in the Aston Villa goal giveaway club because such 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 was the marking. Um, but the the defensive improvement was it was is has been real. I think. It's come at the expense of the attack in some in some forms, but but that kind of defending is is wouldn't be amiss in a Sunday League team to have someone in the centre of the goal um, have a free header from a free kick beside the penalty area is really just unforgivable. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I, I can't, I, I'm trying to find the words here. I'm, I'm very rarely lost for words, but, but but this is, I guess, if I'm thinking about it globally, this is symptomatic of the general malaise. Um, we have a group of players who are stuck in the mud, a manager who is stuck in the mud, a club who is, who after spending a few years on the incline is now on the decline. And I guess that kind of goal and that kind of slapdash defending is symptomatic of that. And then you leave yourself with a mountain to climb, particularly given the fact that we are unable to score goals at the moment under this manager. So you pretty much know from that goal going in that we're struggling to win the game because we scoring more than one goal in the game is, is basically impossible for this Steven Gerrard outfit. So at best you're hoping for a draw against a team who are bottom of the league and who have been the league's whipping boys thus far, I think conceding on average of four goals per game. So really tough to to glean any positives from the goal or the performance in general Andy yeah just it did feel like I did think about the the old goal giveaway club it probably wasn't quite um quite that bad because you you know you do have to give some credit to the to the attacking team if you score from a set piece like that you know it's, it's they've just you know perhaps wanted it more um on that occasion but 
the free kick you could you could question as well. I didn't necessarily think it was a foul by Mings, but I can see why it was given. Really bad area to give a free kick away, but also not a not a really difficult um angle or or position to defend it really and it's actually quite you know quite difficult to score from that position I think and um obviously he's 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 found his man and, and Dennis has scored I think he scored in both games for Watford against Villa last season so he's a player that enjoys enjoys playing against us and um he's 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 got another goal you have to say it's kind of fair play to him but he didn't really have to do an awful lot that's that's what annoys me it's it's when when you know, if the if the opposition, if they, you know, if it's a if it's a great ball in, whip behind the defence, and and someone, you know, gets on the end of it, and it's a you know crushing header into the into the net, then you hold your hands up and say, you know, fair play, good goal. But when a, when you feel like a team just just kind of don't have to do much to to score, it's it's so frustrating, and um, it seems to happen an awful lot to Villa, and I actually do think that. The defensive improvements um, have been. Uh, it's it's a, it's a bit of a what do you call it a bit of a, a mirage or a bit of a, a bit of a card trick really. I don't I don't honestly think they've done an awful lot to to improve it other than just completely slow the game down. I don't think they're better defensively. And also, Go on. you do make a point with the, the the context is king as we say on this show, and the context here is that we have played a number of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, at this point, exactly. Yeah, and um, we've played. I th- I think six of the bottom seven. I read somewhere, and obviously we're the other <laughs> one of that. We've played them all. Um, the only really daunting fixture is Man City um, at home, which which ironically was our best performance of the season. So now we get to have a sampling of the big boys um, um, in in the upcoming weeks. Arsenal as well to be fair we played as as well um, other than those two we've played all the teams really towards the bottom of the, of the league so it's really tricky to to see to see good things yeah it's really difficult to see good things I'm, I'm trying to think of the only thing I can think that which might be a positive spin is we do tend to actually do better against teams who leave us a bit more space teams who come at us I think we are probably a better counter-attacking side than we are dictating the play so we could see an upturn in results against better opposition who maybe dominate the ball because we don't have the personnel or the system to do that so that's the kind of only maybe glimmer of hope I can see Andy moving forward is that actually maybe playing some of the better teams like Chelsea up next may suit us but that might be me clutching at straws so what, what you're saying then that's I mean what you're saying is that um, when Gerard is forced to play a system that he doesn't, or a, a style of play that he doesn't like, in a you know, in a kind of low to mid block and a, and a counter attack, um, we're actually better. But when we're playing how he wants us to play, when we've got the ball and we're we're you know we, we're keeping possession and that sort of thing, we're not we're not good. So that, that's. Um, that's quite an indictment of the uh, the manager's strategy, isn't it? I was trying to find something positive, Andy. Why are you got to do that to it? <laughs> I think I feel like we swap places. It's usually me, yeah, uh, <laughs> me trying to trying to pick out the positives from the gloom. But um, no, I, I just think it's. I just think it is. It's. It's. It, I think you're right. I think Villa are a better. We we our players. And their qualities lend themselves more to um, to playing on the counter attack, I think. And 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 I I, I don't know. I, I just feel that you know we're going down a bit of a, a bit of a strange route with Gerard trying to trying to change something that first of all probably doesn't need changing, and secondly that the players aren't really um, good enough to to implement. Um, that's that's my view. well. I I'm 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 not necessarily buying into that anymore um i have seen enough of this system now we're we're 11 months in and the best villa ever played for me was in that very beginning when it was marvelous nakamba our marvelous goldfish we can remember back to those heady days where we won four out the first six and it was kind of a dare i say 
It was Dean Smith's attacking patterns, which were always good. Dean Smith's size always looked like scoring with a more solid base with with marvelous at the at the at the at the, at the tip of the uh, the base of the midfield you know guard in the shop that was that was the best we've ever looked under Steven Gerrard for for a sustained period and if if you can call four or six games a sustained period I, I I guess you can't but I will because that's Again, we're, that's all we've got to really hang on to, other than like a nice win against Southampton here or a nice win against Norwich there. You know, you know, teams who aren't very good. That was kind of what it is. And and again, going back to some of Jamie Carragher's comments on Monday Night Football, Jamie Carragher said that when Rafa Benitez was at Liverpool, he saw his job as keep it tight and then you're looking for a Fernando Torres or, or, or a, a Luis Suarez or a Michael Owen, you know, whoever was around at that time to get you, get you a goal. And that seems to be something that we've heard before from Mr. Bruce, who got his marching orders from West Brom. That was his kind of thing. You know, we're going to keep it solid then hope for a bit of magic up front. And that might have been fine for Liverpool in 2005 when they've got Fernando Torres knocking around. Um, a guy who was one of the best strikers in world football at that point in time with all the best will in the world we have a badly faded Philip Coutinho who's a, a shell a shell of a shadow a shadow of a shell <laughs> if you will of what he was we have if that is such a thing we have Ollie Watkins who at his peak is a kind of 12 to 15 goal a season Premier League striker at his worst and he's at his worst at the moment I think it's fair to say he's kind of a championship player and um and, and uh, that's what we have we don't have a fernando torres so and also football's moved on in the, in the 20 years since since benitez was in his pomp at liverpool so what we see from teams with lesser players uh, graham potter bright graham potter's brighton's a great example but even jesse marsh's leeds eddie howe's newcastle there are systems and structures put in place so that there are atta attacking patterns of play that create chances for your side and, and one of Potter's big problems was his his side previously at Brighton created all these wonderful chances but had no one to finish them but because they didn't have the, the the quality of personnel but what they did have was the quality and the philosophy the quality of the coaching and I believe you know he's made quite a good uh, start at Chelsea as well that is Potter and with better players who knows how high he will go unfortunately at Aston Villa it seems that Gerard is now saying okay I'm going to keep it tight here and then in the final third you figure it out which means we have individuals playing individually it's incoherent it's unbalanced and most importantly it's ineffective when we are relying and all respect to Ashley Young I know you're an Ashley Young fan I'm an Ashley Young fan all respect to Ashley Young when I say this when you need a wonder strike and it was a bloody wonder strike we're going to talk about it in a minute from your 37 year old backup left back Backup, backup, left back. get you, backup, left <laughs> yeah. back, backup, backup, left back, to get you a point against a team who are bottom of the league and lost 9-0 recently. It is about as bad as it can be without us having Remy Gard, Micah Richards and Jolien Lescott knocking around, in my estimation. It's bloody awful. Yeah, it's. I mean, we will talk about Young's goal and... It was, like you say, a, a really great strike um, and it, it came on 15 minutes. We weren't behind for too long, in fairness, you know, and they got back in the game. The ball fell to, to Ashley Young uh, outside the box and he just shifted it onto his onto his right foot and smashed a volley into the near corner. It was a really great strike. Um, it's his first uh, Villa Premier League goal, of course, for, for 11 years, which is quite something really. Um but yeah, absolutely a moment of, of class. And um, I suppose the question is, firstly, over the last few games, where would we where would we have been without Ashley Young um, in the side? Almost sort of Matty Cash's injury against um, Man City kind of did us a bit of a favour because it, it brought Ashley Young back into the picture. Um, and what does it say about the current situation when a, a 37-year-old... Um, you know, is is by some distance your your best player? Well, I, in 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 on the good side of our coin here, it says that Ashley Young is is and has been an elite footballer. He has 
dined at the top table for most of his career. Um, coming up from Watford, as we know, to Aston Villa, played in the best Villa team um, of my lifetime, certainly, other than Brian Little's Villa team. And he was the star of that team. He everything went through Ashley Young, and he was he was he was absolutely incredible for us. He then gets a big money move to Manchester United. He wins leagues. Uh, he wins uh, European uh, uh, honours with the Europa League and he goes on to win the title in, in Italy. This is an elite football player. The only one probably with a better resume in our building is the um, is Coutinho's former self um, or Coutinho's twin brother. I think we've got we've got someone else in our in our team. And, um, you know, with the greatest will in the world for, for Matt Cash, Man United and Inter Milan are not going to be are not going to be banging down his door to have him as as, as as a member of their championship winning teams, I don't think anytime soon. Uh, the Atletico Madrid <laughs> rumours notwithstanding. Um, you know, Ashley Young's just a better footballer. He's a better level of football than, than basically everybody else that we've got other than Coutinho. He's a better pedigree of footballer. And also I think that he is probably because of his maturity and his experience, he is probably less encumbered or less affected by the kind of malaise which is going on around the club, whereas others have been badly affected. Ollie Watkins has been badly affected. Um, John McGinn has been badly affected. Jacob Ramsey, I think, has, has, has not been as effective, um, obviously, for us. So Coutinho has probably been affected worse than anyone, whereas Ashley Young seems to be able to... to be that his experience, be that his inherent quality or his winning mentality, whatever you want to call it, he's been able to rise above the rest of the dross and 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 is become Aston Villa star player again, kind of fifteen years <laughs> after the fact where he was the first time, which is remarkable, really. I mean, it absolutely is, isn't it? And like you say, he he is. I remember that after the City game, I was kind of thinking about it and that moment where he dispossessed Kevin De Bruyne and. You know the, the the you know the whole game really where he, you know he kept Phil Foden at bay for most of the game and really did it really did a great job in that in that match and we were talking about it and he he would absolutely see himself as part of that part of that group of players you know he he he's obviously a, a bit older than them but um, he would he would see himself as a as a top class elite player. Um, and why shouldn't he dominate Foden and De Bruyne? You know, um, and it is absolutely true. He is, he is, he is on that level. And I think, but I think the the problem is that clearly, you know, he's not a player. You know, you want to be building your team around, but at the moment, he's kind of undroppable. You can't envisage yeah. leaving him out the side because you'd weaken the team too I much. was having a, a chat with this about this with a mate of mine yesterday shout out to Frank if, you, if you're listening um, and, and, and I because he said well what happens when Luca Dean comes back I said I think you, you drop cash quite frankly I think Ashley Young has to play at the moment because he is just really so important for this side I, you, you can't leave him out and I don't think I'd put him in midfield I don't think I'd put him on the wing I think I'd, he's doing a good job at fullback so I think you you, you keep him and, and Cash would drop to the bench but um, you know I think Dean's out for the foreseeable future so that may not be even a problem um, for us to think about but it is a little bit scary that this guy has now become you know number one um, you know he didn't even have a new contract Ashley Young that is uh, at one point during the summer. So it's remarkable how quickly things can change in football. And, and here we are, not looking at our 30 million Danny Ings, not looking at our 25 million Leon Bailey, not looking at our record signing in Emi Buendia, and not even looking at the Brazilian maestro Philippe Coutinho for inspiration. We're looking as we were in 2010, Ashley Young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and, and it was just a, another another word on the goal. It was a crackerjack of a strike. I mean, wonderful technique, isn't it? That to to find the bottom corner from there. Yeah, it was it was it was beautiful, and it's a good bloody job because I think if we had lost, I mean, we we drew. If we'd lost, then good lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely, and I think that's. But that I think people, I think the people have been out at Villa Park this morning with their pitchforks. <laughs> There's, well, I mean. S Sunday afternoon could be interesting, but we'll we'll, we'll obviously uh, talk about that in a bit. But um, yeah, the second half was, I think, 
up there with the 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 the, the poorest half of football I've seen from a from a Villa team in a long time. It really was bad. Um, I think um, you know we struggled to create anything, um, any meaningful opportunities really. Um, Forrest, I thought, held their shape really well. Occasionally looked dangerous on the counter-attack. I think uh, Morgan Gibbs-White is going to be a good signing for them. You know, and they, they did they were clearly, you know, battling for their for their manager. Um Coutinho was replaced by Ings, Dendonka came on for McGinn and Archer obviously came on for Ramsey as well. Um again neither Emmy Buendia or, or Coutinho couldn't could make any kind of impression on the game. What do you think is the immediate future for these two? Um, you know, in terms of obviously with 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 current manager, but could a different coach maybe get more out of these players? Yes, would be the short answer. Um, absolutely, I think particularly Buendia, um, Coutinho is the scarier one. I think with, with Buendia, I think we see flashes. Certainly, we see moments. We've seen goals. We've seen assists. We've seen chance creation. Um, the the numbers for Coutinho have, are begin beginning to get really frightening, actually. And um, in terms of how little impact he's having, again, to go back to the Jamie Carragher uh, thing, he described Coutinho as, as looking like a five-a-side player um, whose legs have gone. And it's hard to argue with that. Now, the Coutinho who came in January and kind of lit up Villa Park with those that cameo against Manchester United, lit up Villa Park again with a wonderful kind of 20-minute display against Leeds. Um, we were kind of hoping for more of that. But unfortunately, we've seen more of the guy who just went missing for lots of the games, particularly away from home towards the end of the season. And um, it looks to be, dare I say, a symbolic signing for Steven Gerrard in that it promised the world and is delivering a sack of shite. Yeah. Basically. Coutinho's been awful. I don't know how else to, to to dress it up, Andy. I mean, it is... Um, yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about that Man United game earlier um, when he came off the bench, first game, hadn't really trained with the team and he just looked... He was just linking everything up and we were passing and moving around the penalty area, albeit against a, a relatively poor Man United defence, but... You know, the two goals we scored were, were excellent goals, you know, really incisive, quick passing, moving, good finishes. Um, and he was such a huge part of that and that comeback. The, the game against Southampton last season where he just ran the show for 90 minutes, he was absolutely brilliant. One of the best individual performances I've seen at Villa Parks, in, you know, in, a, in an awfully long time. And it's just all gone. He doesn't look... Like he's got anything. He doesn't look like he's got any any of that touch, any of that 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 skill or magic that he that he had. And I don't know I don't know how that happens to a player really. I don't know how a player can go from because I mean if you think about his manager, Steven Gerrard, you know, the team Liverpool team would go through through bad spells, they'd have bad bad results, bad performances. But you could always rely on Steven Gerrard to to pull something out the hat, couldn't you? You know, he would he would he would invariably pop up, you know, and he he or, or Grealish with us, no matter how bad we were, yeah. Grealish could always pull a little rabbit out of the hat for Absolutely. us. Absolutely, and his you know his performance was always there. But I think, firstly, I, I mean, I do think Coutinho probably needs to to be function to be in a more functioning side. Um, yeah, I think that's I fair. think he probably yeah. needs that. He's one of those players, whereas you know Grealish definitely drags other people up to his level. I think what Coutinho does is he comes into a side that's at a good level and makes it better. Um, so at the moment, you can kind of understand why he's struggling. But the fact that he can't seem to even control the football <laughs> at times is is baffling to me. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why that happens to players. It has to be. It has to be confidence. I think it's, it's confidence that's on the floor. I think 
Gerard almost is hanging him out to try a little bit. You know, he calls out everyone else by name except Coutinho because it's his mate, arguably. And, um, you know, Coutinho is a, is a kind of, he's not even the icing on the cake, he's the cherry on the icing on the cake. And unfortunately, he's the cherry on a, on a, on a, on a wet sock at the moment. And, um, and he's a stale cherry who's, that's rotten. So I think the best thing for the team, the best thing for the club, and maybe the best thing for Gerard's hopes of saving his job is to give Coutinho a, a, a few weeks on, on the bench. But I guess Coutinho's got other irons in the fire. Coutinho is looking to reclaim his place in the Brazil squad. And maybe Gerard promised him that he'd play regardless. But unfortunately, it's to the detriment of Coutinho. It's to the detriment of Gerard, And more importantly than both of those things, it's to the detriment of Aston Villa because he is an albatross. He he's contributes nothing defensively, which you can forgive if he is creating moments those moments of magic but they're they are they're not even few and far between they're just not there full stop and what about so I think he has to come out the side and what about Buendia then because I'll be honest um, and I've been honest on here before about Buendia I don't share the you've never seen it uh, no I, I don't <laughs> share the the enthusiasm of the of the rest of the fan base when it comes to Buendia I think for 37 million or whatever it was a, a club record fee um I think he's he he's he plays with a lot of bluster and a lot of um, energy, um, but I just don't see the I just don't see the quality. I think it's telling that he's not really involved at all with Argentina. Um, he's missed Villa matches, of course, at the start of last season, um, going going around there to be a going uh, to the other side of the world to be a an Argentina mascot, um, but. We've seen it in flashes. I know there have been games similar to Coutinho where, you know, he's looked really, really good and quite unplayable at times. I think the the the, the cup game at Man United kind of stands out um, as one of those games to me. Um, and you could argue that maybe he needs he needs a, he needs a few games to 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 really kind of get into his groove. Um, but I just don't again. You know, I think his touch is off. I think his passing is quite bad, really. I think he, you know, he puts he he puts an awful lot of um, power on a lot of passes and things like that. His touch is good, but I don't know. I'm just not. I'm I'm just not seeing this this amazing number ten that's going to fire us up the league. Um, I just don't see it. I think that's 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 fair. What I would say, if we're comparing the two, I think the same thing could be true of of Buendia. Is he in a system set up to get the best out of him? No. Is anyone in a system set up to get the best out of them? No. Um, for for the whole team, and um, the defenders are getting a lot more help now, a lot more protection, and 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 Mings and and Konza are back to their what they were before, which we know they, we, we all, I, you know, I said when there were doubts, <laughs> I said, these guys can defend, they can be solid, but they need some help. They need some protection. They get the protection. They're coming out. So in, in Gerard's defense, I will say that the defensive solidity has been stronger, but again, with a large, large, large caveat, I nearly swore there <laughs> that we've played some really, some of the weakest teams in the league. I think we just played the weakest team in the league yesterday and still conceded a bad goal to uh, Dennis, a relegated player. Anyway, um, but Buendia, I think you can see, you can see that you can see, for me, you can see that there's something there um, in a way that you can't see with Coutinho. And I think that, that Buendia, obviously, this is the younger of the two and he is the one probably worth persevering with. Coutinho isn't going to improve at this point. It's probably fair to say we have seen the best of Philip Coutinho as a footballer, full stop. We're only going to get diminishing returns from him um, 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 generally. Now, hopefully he can recover some form and, and still be a valuable player for Villa moving forward. But if not, I think I've said before for Coutinho, it's next up M MLS. And that's not meant in a derogatory way. It's just a league where there's a bit more time, a bit more space, and it's a bit more forgiving for him. And um, whereas Buendia still is at an age where he has maybe another level to go and his numbers are always very positive in terms of contributions, um, 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 shot creating, uh, chance creation, his numbers are always very, very good. So I think there's something there. But again, it's very, very difficult to ask anyone 
to function in this dysfunctional side and that I guess goes to the manager yeah absolutely uh, uh, yeah I, 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 I tend to agree I think I think if I was going to give um, if I was a new manager coming in and I was going to give either one of Buendia or Coutinho a run of games and, and try and get them sort of running the show if it, as it were I think I would probably lean towards Buendia because like you say he's he's just got a bit more a bit more time on his side I suppose and and yet you're absolutely right we haven't seen anything I think I saw today it's it's one goal zero assists assist in the last 20 games for for Coutinho which is I mean that's that's basically what you'd expect from a right back isn't it I mean that's that's you know yeah cash cat well Ashley Young's got more than that yeah he's got more goals and assists than that and he he scarcely plays and again Coutinho's defensive output puts a lot of pressure on his teammates around him because he he doesn't have the legs or the stature to really help out a lot even though and and that's the other that's the other edge that Buendia has although again their stature and, and physical profile is very similar um Buendia is a lot more robust a lot more combative a lot a lot more uh, eager or happy to jump into a challenge and and provides a lot more work rate as well so that's another edge that Buendia has over over Coutinho I we're just not good at, we're in a relegation fight Andy quite frankly and um and people may not believe that but I assure you we are given that we've played the worst teams in the league and we are a couple of points from the from or we we, we if if Wolves beat uh, Forest at the weekend before we play we will be two points adrift from the, the drop zone in 16th place which is exactly where Gerard picked us up from from Dean Smith and um unlike Dean Smith Gerard has no goodwill whatsoever the fans have turned out Gerard out was uh, uh, we want Gerard out was was chanted by the uh, by the by the away end a section of the away end reportedly and as you know Andy once you lose the away fans it is typically curtains for an Aston Villa manager yeah it feels like that doesn't it it feels like it's the the last knockings um of, of Steven Gerrard at the moment. Um, I'm, I mean, we're recording this on, on Tuesday, sort of 24 hours after the game, and I'm a little bit surprised that <laughs> that nothing's been announced. I have to say, I, th- I did think today um, that, that it might happen, but maybe that point was just enough to, to keep the wolf from the door. But it's nine points from nine games, um, <laughs> the wolf scratching, the, <laughs> scratching the crap out the door. Andy. Yeah, it, sound, it, de- <laughs> it definitely sounds it. <laughs> sounds that way. But it's nine points from nine games, seven goals only scored, sixteenth in the league. Um, you know the, the way the league is. You know we could have moved up to, to ninth with a win. Which if you, you know you don't sack you don't sack a Villa manager if if they're in the top the top half of the table do you at the moment you know that's that would be a very safe position for for Gerard to be in but you know just couldn't get it over the line against against the worst team in the league um it just looks like players are lacking confidence they look they look fearful particularly the attackers um and the away fans like you say seem to have turned so i mean Gerard would would argue for unbeaten um but how much water does that actually hold now? And like you say, a, a villa, a villa, definitely in a relegation battle at the minute. It holds as much water as a colander, Andy. <laughs> quite frankly, um, because of the level of opposition, because of the ten-man leads, and because of again the the very expensively assembled squad that Gerard has is is overseeing, and again Gerard signings, not all of them available. But Gerard's signings in the main have been players who are either at their peak or just past their peak. Uh, 29, 30-year-olds, Luca Dean, big money, uh, big wages at his peak. Diego Carlos, yes, entry accepted, but big money, big wages, 29 at his peak. Coutinho, big money, even bigger wages, the biggest wages in the history of Aston Villa. And this is someone who's past their peak, but we're, we're still hopeful of. When you're signing these players, and Danny Ings as well, who, who was signed in fairness before Gerard's reign, again, a player, big money signing, big wages, a player signed for today. 
we haven't done the Crystal Palace model of, of signing uh, Ibrice uh, Eze and uh, uh, Michael Olise and um, young players from the championship who will have sell-on value. The ethos under Gerard, generally speaking, with the exception of probably the Kamara signing, has been to sign players for today. And the problem is when you're signing players for today and they are not performing, then you are really up the creek without a paddle. Um, Gerard is, I think, ultimately, Andy, he's the Wizard of Oz. He has a whole had a whole bunch of us fooled with his with his majesty and his uh, his kind of law, his folklore. His, his the legend of Steven Gerrard carries weight. When he was announced as manager of the football club, that alone increases the profile of a football club and you believe because he was such an incredible player and he was an incredible incredible footballer let's take nothing away from his playing career and you're thinking he's just won the league in rangers in in in, in scotland sorry four rangers and he comes in and he has all the pomp and circumstance all of the pedigree in football that you could imagine there is probably no bigger name other than wayne rooney in in english football in the last 25 years uh, Beckham maybe um, um, but Beckham obviously isn't involved in coaching so it's kind of Gerard Rooney and, and, and Lampard are, are, are the three kind of amigos in that regard and um, he comes in with all this kind of ballyhoo and hoopla and all the kind of residents of Oz are looking to him to, to lead us and when you pull back the curtain you find a, really a quite angry little man who is out of his depth, he's untalented as a football coach and is unkind, unkind to the players in public, unkind to the local journalists, doesn't clap the away fans who have spent hundreds of pounds or thousands of pounds over the course of a season to follow a villa around. So what you have is, is, is a horrible small man managing your football club and it feels awful quite honestly and you can and, and I think I listened to you and you you guys you and Daniel talking last week you said Andy and, and I, I back you here you said I don't really care if, if my football manager is a nice person but he needs to be good when you've got a guy who isn't a nice person who's also crap rude obnoxious and again unkind it's it's really dark mm. No, absolutely. I, I can't. I can't disagree with any of that. And I think, I think that's that. That's the thing um, th- that you're left with, isn't it? And I think. Um, I mean, you know, just to just to sort of mention, Dan, he did send us a bit of a question today, um, and he was talking about kind of Steve Cooper at Forest, and after five defeats, Forest rather than sacking Steve Cooper, gave him a new contract. And do you think? that in hindsight, Villa could or should have taken that similar approach with Smith, bearing in mind what Smith... I think hindsight's always twenty twenty. Uh, Dean Smith is someone that I didn't want sacked. Um, I was not alone in that, but there were also lots of people who thought it was time to move on from Dean Smith. And um, I think that the issue that you have when Dean Smith, even if they people did want him sacked I, the crowd hadn't turned no away fans were singing we want Dino out no home fans had turned on him so he still had some goodwill in the bank I think we know that Perslow was waiting for the first chance to sack him uh, Dean Smith that is and, and he did and like he did old yellow he took him out back and, and shot him with the pillow and the gun and um, and Dean Smith has moved on um, obviously he took over a Norwich side who were doomed and now he is I believe second in the championship having won I think seven out of the last eight or something like that and also having nurturing the second Ramsey brother for for Aston Villa's benefit uh, while he's over there at Norwich so in short yes I think Dean Smith maybe didn't need a new contract because he'd recently signed one but Dean Smith should have been given some more time and it's easy to say in hindsight but I said it at the time that he should have got some more he should have got a little bit more of an opportunity he deserves some more time he was Aston Villa's most successful manager since Martin O'Neill he's still Aston Villa's most successful manager since Martin O'Neill and also with Dean Smith you had someone who you knew was Aston Villa through and through you knew that that Dean Smith Dean Smith was living his dream at Aston Villa Dean Smith 
never saw Aston Villa as a stepping stone. The only thing that Dean Smith would have ever left Aston Villa to do was to maybe manage England, you know, if it had ever got to that. Um, whereas we know for Gerard is, is a stepping stone, was always a stepping stone for Aston Villa. His dream is to be Liverpool manager. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Um, Gerard is like being, I guess if you're in a relationship with someone, and you know they're not they don't they're not really you know they're kind of just with you for a little while while they find something better you can almost live with it if the sex is great and maybe you travel the world and you have a lot of fun together maybe you can live with that but the sex is not good under gerard in fact it's awful the matches are poor it's being a villa fan is 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 really dull as dishwater at the moment so what you need at least is you need something to hold on to. And with Dean Smith, we had that connection. We had that bond with him. He had done things for the football club, which 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 meant that I think he needed some more time. Also, Dean Smith's record is was better than Gerrard's at this stage last season. And Dean Smith played, I think, six out of his 11 games before he got fired. He played six of the top seven away from home, something like that. He also had the nonsense that go on with losing Jack Grealish three weeks before the start of the season, Richard O'Kelly, the, 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 the Tom Terry stuff, losing them again a few weeks or days before the start of the season. There was lots of nonsense that Smith had to contend with, which Gerard hasn't had to contend with in the same way. Yes, he did lose his, 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 his assistant manager, but that, ha that didn't happen days before the season. That happened months ago. But even so, all that notwithstanding, Dean Smith, for me, deserved time to try and turn it around for Aston Villa and he didn't get it and the precedent as I said a few weeks ago has been set Perslow came out sacked Dean Smith because continuous improvement was not being delivered well I can tell you for damn sure Gerard hasn't improved a lick of no. Aston Villa not a lick no, we're, we're a lot worse aren't we? so we're a lot worse than we were um this even 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 after that that five game run it's because, worse you know even in that five game run we were scoring goals. We were in games. Um, you know, it was, it was five, we lost five games, but there wasn't a lack of competitiveness or a, or a lack of ideas. Um, and there wasn't the disconnect. Dean Smith no. wasn't hanging around, you know, with, uh, with, with reported, uh, uh, um, what's the word for them? Uh, cartel members, for example, <laughs> Dean Smith was not, chastising and, and bullying our players in the media. He wasn't attacking local journalists for, for doing their job and asking reasonable questions. So even though results were not fantastic, there wasn't this kind of toxicity uh, around the club in the same way that there is today with Steven Gerrard. And that to me is, is not as important as the results, obviously, because it is a results business, but it is a fundamental problem with Steven Gerrard as well. If we, not to mention the bloody awful football and results. So do you think? Do you think it? Do you think it is time to to pull the trigger? Would it? Would you let him go now? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think. Um, I think that. I think that a year or almost a year is enough time. I think that we've seen nothing but um, regression. I think that we are also seeing in his interviews. The really scary thing is. The, the interview after the game yesterday, he said exactly the same thing as he said after the Leeds game. Oh, we just need a, a moment of magic up, up front. Um, no, <laughs> that's not how you. That's not how you win football matches, Steve Bruce. With moments of individual magic, you do it through structures and patterns of attacking play. And he even had a moment of magic. Ashley Young gave you a moment of magic to get you out of jail, and you still couldn't win the game. You're not going to see a better goal than that this season from an Aston Villa player. You had it. Ashley Young gave you your moment of magic that you were looking for and it still wasn't enough. If we are relying on 37-year-olds to hammer volleys in or half volleys in from, from 25 yards in order for us to beat the bottom of the table, Nottingham Forest, who again lost 9-0 not so long ago, we're, we're, we're screwed. We're fudged. I think it's over, Andy. I think it's over and I think that um, Gerrard's on, on borrowed time. You never know. Things can change very quickly in football. I don't think they're going to sack him before, before unless it gets really untenable. I think Perslow has, Perslow is the vanity project with Gerard as, as Coutinho is, sorry, let me rephrase that. 
Gerard is Christian Perslow's vanity project in the same way that Philip Coutinho is Steven Gerrard's vanity project. And I think the chief exec will cling on for as long as he can because he knows his ass is on the line as well. He's culpable for this. Perslow hired a novice knowing he was a novice, knowing he was a risk, and he's given him the keys to the Aston Villa kingdom. He handed over the keys to the Aston Villa Kingdom to an unpleasant football novice who doesn't seem to be a very good football manager. And Perslow knows, I think Perslow will give it as long as he can, uh, Gerard, as long as he can to try and turn it around. But I think, I think, it's, I think it's gone. I, I might be wrong. I almost hope I am wrong. If we go and smash Chelsea and really do turn a quarter and go on an amazing run, I'll be the first to hold my hands up and say, hey, I got it wrong. I judged too quickly with Gerard. He he was doing things that I couldn't see or understand, but he did it. But I don't think that's going to happen, Andy, quite frankly. It doesn't look like it, does it? So so in the in the in that kind of scenario then, say say Gerard goes in the next two or three weeks, who who would you does anyone stand out in terms of a possible replacement? The dream is Pochettino. The, the absolute dream is Pochettino. I don't know if he would take it. <laughs> I think we may need to set our sights a little bit lower. I think that you need someone with... I think you need someone with some kind of coaching pedigree. I think we need a, a coach. I think we need a coach rather than a personality. I think, you know, Martin O'Neill was a personality and that worked back in that era. But I think football's moved on now and I think you need you need a coach, ideally a coach with a personality, you know, like a Klopp or a... <laughs> but I would go for a coach over a personality. I'd go for a coach over a name. And I would go for someone who who we believe that can can take these pieces and put them together in a puzzle to take us to the top 10, which I don't think is an outrageous ask. Um I don't think it's an outrageous ask. I don't think our expectations are too high. I don't think it's pie in the sky for this to be a top 10 team with a decent coach. So I would go for that. Um, Pochettino, again, would be the dream. But I think we may need to, again, we may need to think about something a little bit different. But it also has to be someone with some kind of experience. Not necessarily a Premier League football, but at least of, of, of top tier football with a, f- with, with a number of games under their belt because we can't gamble on another novice like Gerard. Yeah, I've got, I've got a sneaking feeling for, um, for, for Brendan Rodgers and I know he's not having the best time of it at the moment at Leicester, but I think there's probably extenuating circumstances for that and um, that he's not in control of. And I think Rodgers, I would take, yeah. Yeah, I think, and I wonder whether there's a bit of cat and mouse, if that is the case, you know, with, with Leicester kind of waiting for us to go, make a move first before they sack him. Because obviously if they sack him, they've got to pay him. Whereas if Villa make the move first, then we've got to pay them. Um, could be stuff like that going on behind the scenes and that's why there's no movement because I'm very surprised that Rogers hasn't been uh, relieved of his duties just yet. But I'm probably completely way off there but uh, just well Leicester have got no money they're they're broke so I don't think they they can afford to pay him off so there could be a deal to be done there but again Rodgers there is a danger when you know Rodgers has has reached the end of his shelf life at Leicester for probably a variety of reasons and I don't pretend to be intimately acquainted with what's going on at Leicester City but I will say that there is a risk sometimes with a new with a manager who is who is let's say maybe needs a rest you know I, I would be I'd, I'd be loath to take someone like that because I think sometimes you need to step away go away sit in the sun for a few months and, and just contemplate recharge refresh um, and, 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 and so I would probably want an out of work manager ideally but um, we'll see. That's my uh, personal assistant here, just just giving giving her thoughts, and um, <laughs> that's that's yes, I agree. She agrees. She talks more sense than I do, so um, keep her on, <laughs> keep her on next week. Um, okay, so we're looking ahead, then we'll we'll, we'll we'll move ahead to the Chelsea game. We'll assume that that Stephen Gerrard is still there, and apologies, listener, if uh, if uh, he's gone in the next uh, next couple of days while while this podcast is being edited but um 
It's Sunday, 2pm kickoff. Chelsea now managed, of course, as you mentioned, by Graham Potter, who's made a, a decent start. To his, to his Chelsea Graham Potter, tenure. who was my choice for Aston Villa manager, by the way, let me just say. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, I would have been doubtful of that one, but I think you were probably you'd have probably been right. Um, it's difficult to predict his lineup because he's he's heavily rotating his squad due to the Champions League matches. Um, but Steven Gerrard clearly has calls to make over misfiring forwards, Coutinho and Watkins in particular, and whether Archer or, or Danny Ings or both get a, get an opportunity this weekend. There was also some talk about moving to a back three, um, which is usually the, the last desperate act of an under-fire um, manager, along with uh, playing three strikers um, <laughs> at the end of a game, like he did last night against Forest. Um, I mean, could this be an option as well, maybe with, with Dendonka coming in, who's a bit of a specialist in that type of system? But how would you how would you tackle this one? Um, you have to you have to park the bus a little bit. We're not fluid enough to to really cause ugh, any. We I, the, the Man City setup is exactly what I would do. Um, Buendia and Coutinho out, as you alluded to earlier, Andy. Uh, Jacob Ramsey left wing, Bailey right wing if he's fit, and then in terms of in terms of Archer or 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 Ings, Ings is not a lone striker, so you kind of need to play him in a partnership. Archer remains to be seen. Watkins also probably could do with the rest. Um, but I would do exactly what Villa did against Man City. Play again in a similar kind of way, trying to absorb the pressure and score a nice goal from a counter-attack, which we did. Lovely run from Jacob Ramsey, square ball to Leon Bailey, nice finish. Yeah, I think the the, the Man City kind of approach is probably the best way to go. Um, I don't really see any any alternative. I think, I mean, if he goes to three at the back, I think that's that, that is him kind of accepting defeat and um, just trying something just to see, really. And I suppose, it, it, you know, with like with any of these things, sometimes something works, doesn't it? And it's worth giving things a go. But more than more than anything, I just, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned sort of going to the game that the atmosphere is going to be a bit tricky. I, I, you know, I never like being at games when the manager, the home manager's under pressure because it kind of feels like you're, you're doing the opposition's job for them in a way because you're creating a negative atmosphere. So I hope the I hope the crowd are kind of on the on the side of the players as much as anything, even if they they kind of don't don't like the manager. I think it's it's you know it's it's always worth supporting supporting the players on the pitch and um, whoever they are and and uh, and whatever shape they're in. So um, I think I don't know. I I don't think it matters. I think we we we're possibly um, we're possibly struggling on Sunday to, to to create anything, and of course, then it's sort of a thick run of fixtures till the end of the month with uh, sort of Fulham and Brighton, sorry Fulham and Brentford coming up fairly quick after that. So it's a really it's a really tricky game, and um, I don't really I don't really know what else to what else to say about it other than uh, to to kind of predict predict the scoreline, Craig. What do you think? I think it's a, a, a defeat. I think that um, a couple of things. The first thing, I think Gerard can mitigate that if he if he plays Archer and, and Ramsey. Um, if he throws in a youngster, the fans will be much more forgiving of a performance from a youngster because I think lots of people have reached the end of their tether with, with Ollie Watkins. Lots of people have reached the end of their tether with some of the senior players. So sometimes you can, as a manager, deflect some of that kind of angst by throwing a youngster in. But... You know, and, and and Archer already has scored against Chelsea, so you know maybe there's there's there's, there's an argument to say that could happen. Um, but in terms of the scoreline, I'll be I'll be I'll be going for a, a two 0 Chelsea win. Um, I don't think we'll get hammered because I think we are relatively solid defensively. Um, but I think it will be a defeat, and I think although it will be. You know, it won't be like an embarrassing scoreline. I think it's going to be one of those, you know, a 2 0 is just like a clear, like, you know, it's going to be one of those very clean 2 0, very comfortable 2 0 for Chelsea. I would also say on, on Saturday, I'm going to be, on Sunday, sorry, I'm going to be at the uh, Philly Fan Fest. So NBC Sports are throwing a bash 
at um, at uh, in, in central Philly at Dilworth Park. I will be there on Sunday morning. So if you are a a, a northeast based uh, listener, um, be great to catch up, grab a beer, and watch that uh, with the likes of I think uh, Ian Wright's going to be there, Alan Shearer, uh, Robbie Earl, and some of the other NBC uh, sports uh, guests. So I'll be there. Um, hope to see you there if you are in town. But unfortunately, I do predict a Chelsea uh, that win. Absolutely fantastic. I wish I wish I could get over for that. That would be uh, <laughs> that would be incredible. Um, no, absolutely get along to that if you're uh, in the gym. It's a nine a.m. start, oh. so I mean, I mean, if you, if you don't mind, um, if you don't mind an ale or two at nine a.m., then, uh, well, <laughs> then it's it's perfect in the past to uh, to partake. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Although, of course, you you don't need to drink and watch the football, the Villa, but it, does, it, it might help. It does definitely help. I'll, I'll be I'll be over here at uh, lunchtime, perhaps having a having having a pint or two before the game. Um, but I'm going to go for. Uh, I'm going to go for nil-nil because I don't predict Villa to lose. Um, but uh, read into that prediction what you will. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, it's it's just going to be a difficult afternoon. But I, I really hope everyone kind of supports the players and hopefully they'll they'll put in a performance. They'll dig it out from somewhere and we'll 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 be reasonably happy walking away. Um, yeah. And I've seen people say they want Villa to lose heavily against Forest yesterday and against Chelsea. No, I, I never no, want that. Ridiculous. I didn't. I, I will never. I will never want Villa to lose. Um, even though I think it's time for Gerard to go, I still want him to win. And I do hope he proves you wrong. Look, maybe he's not the Wizard of Oz. Maybe he's really. I don't know. Ming the Merciless. Whatever. Whoever he is, we're going to find out. But. Um, you know, bring on Sunday, and I hope I hope Villa win. I'll be cheering us on, and I'll be wearing my Philip Coutinho shirt. And um, you know, maybe he'll. Maybe he'll. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. Even maybe want he'll to provide the sentence. magic moment, Craig. You never know. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. If you if you if you're in Philly, go and see Craig at the at, at, at that. Uh, what was it? The Philly Festival or. <laughs> <laughs> Philly Fan Fest. Uh, I, I'm not working there. I'm not there in any kind of official capacity. I'm there purely as a, an Aston Villa fan. <laughs> good stuff. And, and uh, obviously, if you're going to Villa Park, have a have a good afternoon. Um, I'll be there in the Holt End, and uh, hopefully we we can we can come away with something and have something positive to talk about next week as we build up to the the double header against Fulham away and Brentford at home. Um, but thanks to everyone for listening. Head over to to the um, Under a Gaslit Lamp socials on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and also the the website there, uh, underagaslitlamp.com. And all the best, stay safe and up the villa.